Okay, the reading this afternoon is taken from 2 Peter, chapter 3. Uh, it's on page 1223 in the Church Bibles. If anybody else hasn't got one yet, wave your hand and I'm sure somebody will find you one. And it's also going to be on the screen. Okay. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness, righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Fiona. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you all. Welcome. Well, I have my welcome to, uh, to the others. It's really good to have you with us, uh, if you're here for the first time or if you are here. Uh, if you've been here since we've... Uh, we've begun. It's good uh, that you've joined us. And please do open up your Bibles to that chapter of 2 Peter as we look at it uh, together. It's good to, to read along 
as I refer to it. Uh, Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for this book of 2 Peter. We thank you for all all that it has to teach us. And I pray that as we look at it today, uh, you would encourage us and equip us and strengthen us and lead us to rejoice again as we consider the gospel and what it means. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever climbed out of the bathroom window at a restaurant? Anyone? Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't either. But that seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Because if Hollywood is anything to go by, it seems to happen all the time. In sitcoms and and movies and things like that, doesn't it? Uh, Usually it's, I don't know, it's like a blind date or something that's gone wrong. And one person escapes out of the bathroom window, climbs off, disappears. And the person's left there sitting, looking at their watch going, what's going on? Where are they? And eventually coming to the, the acceptance, they're not coming back and having to sort of slink off on their own. Well, I wonder if you ever get that kind of feeling when it comes to the return of Jesus. Is he coming back? Has he kind of somehow stood us up? It's been a really long time, hasn't it, since he came for the first time. Why hasn't he come back yet? What's going on? Are we just deluding ourselves to expect him to return? Well, that's what Peter starts to address in our passage uh, today. And the good news is there's lots to reassure us with as we go through. Uh, If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this letter of 2 Peter. You'll know that he's writing to a church that is facing some really dangerous false teaching. Uh, And he spends the first chapter encouraging the church, uh, urging them to live godly lives because the gospel is true. Uh, And then last week we looked at chapter 2 and we looked at the the danger of the false teaching. Uh, And actually what Peter says, his conviction that they will face judgments. Uh, and, and they will, they will, uh, it will not end well for them. And then what we really get in this chapter is kind of pulling the threads of the letter together, uh, encouraging, reassuring the church, and I hope it will do the same for us today. Because here's what we see, the big headline, Jesus will come back. Jesus will come back. Let's look at verse 3 again, shall we? Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. He's going back again to the the false teaching, calling them scoffers. These, These scoffers follow their own evil desires. They basically live however they want. They mock the idea that Jesus is coming back. And they laugh. They scoff. There seemed to have been an expectation in the early church that Jesus was going to come back quite quickly, quite soon. And these false teachers say, well, look, he's not back. You can't see him, can you? He's not here. And nothing seems to have changed. Everything's going on as it has since creation. So why bother? We're not, he's not coming back now. And if he's not coming back, he's not coming back in judgment. So you can live how you like. That seems to be what they're saying. And they're scoffing. They're laughing at the idea of Jesus' return. Probably exactly like the world today would laugh in that sort of way but then see what Peter says in reply verse 5 but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly It says they have chosen to forget. They have chosen not to pay attention to the truth. 
They choose to forget the, the, the truth of God's word, the reality of God's words. And that's really why we can know God is coming back, because we can trust the word of God. That's what um, Peter's saying here. He's saying, look, do you realize why we exist in the first place? Because of God's word. He spoke into existence all of creation. He, he did that. God made everything. It can be a bit easy to be sidetracked by the stuff about water, can't it, in those verses. Peter is not writing a physics lesson. He's referring back to Genesis chapter 1 and the, the formless earth and the waters there. That's what it's talking about. Uh, and then linking into the next point, God created the world and God judged the world with the flood. You see that in Genesis 6, 3 to 9. He judged the world because of its sinfulness. And Peter's saying, do you remember what God has already done? First of all, he created everything. And then he sent the flood. So don't doubt that the same thing will happen again. God will judge and you can trust him you can trust that this will happen you can trust that he'll come back because of these things i think it's, it's, it's a really important thing to consider actually isn't it the fact that we exist at all is proof that jesus will come back if he created us then he will also return and it's good to remember that we exist he's coming back and he's coming back to reign we see that in verse 7 don't we reign with justice and there's consequences for those who reject him Severe consequences. But it doesn't answer the question, does it? Why? Why hasn't he come back yet? Well, Peter tries to explain that, I think, in verses 8 and 9. See what he says. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He says that God is not bound by time in the same way as we are. He is eternal. He is Lord of all. And he quotes this, this verse from Psalm 90, Psalm 90 verse 4. This idea that the day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. It's explaining God does not experience time in the same way as us. He, he is outside of time. It's kind of hard to get our heads around. But that's not, Peter's not saying you must take this literally and you must think, right, I'm going to Take that and I'm going to work out when Jesus can come back with some weird maths because I can work out how many days it is and how many thousands of years and all this sort of thing. That's not what Peter's trying to say. He's saying it's not necessarily a literal thing. It's a poetic expression to explain that's, what, that's how God operates, that what God is outside of time. The point Peter's making is this. Jesus is not being slow. He's not late. He's not stuck in traffic somewhere. You see what he says? He is patient. He is patient. So we look forward to his return, but we don't kind of, we shouldn't grumble that it hasn't come back yet because it's God showing patience to people like you and me, giving people an opportunity to come to him in repentance and faith. Isn't that wonderful to see about God's heart for us? He is patient. He is kind. He is merciful. Uh, he, he does not take pleasure in this judgment of the wicked. That's not something he, he, he enjoys he wants everyone to come to him to find salvation, to find hope, to find that love. He wants no one to, to turn away from him. Peter says, look, that, that's why you need to stay close to God. Repent of the ways he might have been led astray. Grow in godliness. Wait for Christ's return. He will come back. And do you see how it will happen? Verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 
we had an interesting uh, chat on our what street WhatsApp group this morning because there was someone on our estate about four o'clock in the morning going around trying door handles, trying to steal stuff, and he got into a few cars and he's stolen some some goods and things. And obviously, it was everyone was really upset about that, showing videos and all this sort of thing. But it makes the point, doesn't it? You you don't know when to expect a thief. It's not like they book in a schedule that says, oh, I'm going to be here on this day at this time. You can wait for it. Thieves come at a time you do not expect. And Jesus, that, that's what Peter says. And, and Jesus himself uses the same image. To come like a thief in the night. He will come at a time we do not expect. He'll come at a time we do not expect. And we kind of want to be ready, don't we? We want to have that in mind and wait expectantly. Especially because of what happens afterwards. You get this amazing picture of cosmic destruction, don't we? The heavens disappear with a roar. It's like the, the roar of a fire going, Whoa. The elements, you know, everything the universe is made up of, destroyed. The earth laid bare. It's a picture of having nowhere to hide. Of everything being exposed, everything being revealed and judged by God. Anyone who scoffs at the Lord Jesus will not scoff at that moment. No one will be able to escape. No one will be able to make an excuse. And actually, isn't that interesting? When you consider the powers of our world today, the countries and the nations and the the leaders and people that seem to have no interest in faith and have turned away from God, they will not escape. No one will escape. All evil will be judged and destroyed. And actually, that is a good thing, ultimately, to consider that, that, that no evil will go unpunished. That's reassuring. Jesus will come back. Do not doubt that. Be reassured by this passage. I mean, the fact that we exist, we're here today, he will return. So what are we called to do? As we know this fact, as Jesus will come back, what, what, are, we, what are we supposed to do? Well, that's the sort of second half of this chapter. Jesus will come back. So, dear friends, strive to live godly lives. Strive to live godly lives. Did you notice Peter's use of that phrase, dear friends? throughout this this chapter it's there a few times you skim through it you see it he loves the people he's writing to it means beloved ones he's writing to people he cares for deeply he's writing with a a pastoral heart he wants to see them rejoicing and growing in godliness he wants them to turn away from false teaching he's not he's not angry with them he loves them as a family he wants the best for them and that's why he says that in, in verse one dear friends This is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. It's similar to chapter one. If you go back to chapter one, you see a similar concept coming up. This idea of remembering and reminding of knowing the truth. And knowing Jesus deeply, relationally, not just academically. But it's good, isn't it, to to see Paul's, sorry, Peter's aim in writing. Don't listen to the false teachers, but, but, but... Grow in wholesome thinking, trusting the truth, rejoicing in the gospel, uh, rejecting the lies, rejecting the immorality. But it's more than just thinking, isn't it? It's not just a a mental process. Again and again, do you see what he calls them to in this chapter? He calls them to live godly lives. It's there in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God's. Verse 14, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. 
Verse 17, be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it pulls letter together, doesn't it? Because it's how we started a few weeks back in chapter 1. This idea of making every effort, striving, pressing on towards the goal, growing in our faith, rejecting any sort of ideas that the false teachers were suggesting and pushing forward, growing in their, their Christian walk, not taking it for granted. There's lots of things, aren't there, that we, we can tend to take for granted. Um, I think we probably take school for granted in this country. Uh, it's kind of covered, isn't it, by our taxes and things. It doesn't feel like it costs anything to go. But, but actually, in other countries, sometimes the only reason you're in school is because someone has paid for you to be there. Maybe uh, my, my father's a um, trustee of a, a school in Zambia, and uh, they have a sort of scholarship scheme where people can sponsor students to go and work, go and study in the school. And, and you know what? They, they, they're so... Um, they're so amazed by this honour and this privilege that someone has treated them to be able to, to learn and be educated. They strive to grow. They strive to learn. That they, they put their, their, their most effort into these things uh, because they're not taking it for granted because they realise that the cost it has for them. And you know, I think there's a parallel there with the Christian life, isn't there? Do we somehow sometimes take it for granted a little bit? Uh, because... Jesus has done it all, hasn't he? Jesus has paid the price for us. So does that mean we can just kind of coast along in our faith a little bit? We're kind of doing enough. Yeah, we're, we're all right. Or do we make every effort? Do we realize the sacrifice, the cost that Jesus made for us so that we, we push on, we strive to grow to be more like him, to find that, that joy in, in living for him as we pray together, as we live together as a church? Now remember, the first thing Peter says in his letter, verse 3, his divine power, God's divine power gives us all we need. We've got to balance this with, with that. We've got reality that, yes, we are saved by grace alone. We are saved by, by the death of Jesus. It's not about our own strength, earning that approval. But actually, the way we grow, the way we change is relying on his strength. The, the abilities he gives us, the, the ways he give, enables us to change by his spirit. It's his power, it's not our own strength. And then he kind of comes back to the return of Jesus as another motivation, doesn't he? In verse 11. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Why? As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you look forward to his return. Now, we've read about the Lord's return, haven't we? And it doesn't, it sounds kind of very intimidating almost and scary somehow. You've got this fire and this destruction. Seems a bit strange to say we should look forward to that, doesn't it? Well, it's not because we're looking forward to that judgment and we're not looking forward to people suffering. We're looking forward to what it means for those who believe. We're looking forward to the future. Verse 13, the new heaven, the new earth. That's what we look forward to. It, it pales. Everything else pales in comparison when you think about what it means for, for believers when Jesus returns. Here's a couple of verses from Revelation 21 just to kind of whet your appetites. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their gods. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning 
or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Dear friends, that is what we look forward to. That is the hope that we are holding on to day by day. Isn't that an incredible thought? No more pain. No more suffering. Our ailing bodies, the things that go wrong, it will all be gone. We look forward to that day of glory, that day of splendor, that day where God lives with us. And we expect that. We live with that certain hope in mind. That's what leads us to strive for godliness, isn't it? To live lives worthy of that calling that we have received. We please God with how we live in the Christian life. And that's, I think that's really the application for this passage, for this, this book, really. And let me say it in a slightly different way just to make it clear that, that if we truly grasp the reality of, of Christ coming again, it will affect how we live. It will affect how we live. Uh, Peter, again and again, he, he links with what we believe, what we think, what we know, with actually what we do with that information, how we act in response. If we look forward to Jesus coming again, if we know he's coming back, we make every effort to, to live for him, to strive forward in our faith. Those false teachers that rejected Christ's return, they, they, they had fallen into lazy and sinful and sensual lifestyles. And actually, if we're not careful, we can do something similar. I don't know if you've ever been given an assignment at work or at school or at university, and the deadline is like three months down the line, right? It's three months away. And you think, oh, I've got loads of time. I'm going to put it on my to-do list and then the weeks go past, months go past. And all of a sudden, you've got two weeks till the deadline, and you realize you haven't started, you haven't done anything, and you're never going to be able to get it all done to the sort of standard that you would have liked. We want to be careful not to fall into that kind of complacency with our faith. We think, to, to, to not think like this, to not think, well, I mean, it's, if we're honest, Jesus is not likely to come back tomorrow, is he? So that means I don't need to worry about this area of godliness or that area maybe maybe i'll worry about that next year or the year after and years go past and, and we never address those sort of areas of sin that, that kind of keep coming back and we keep struggling with and we need god's help with and we grow used to them and we think oh, i'm not as bad as other people we don't grow we don't progress in our faith we get the complacence well like i say i think something that can crack that complacency if we remember the eternal perspective if we think about Christ's return let me read you this story I found this as I was preparing this is a a story from one of the people who commentated on the uh, passage Um, here's what he says at the time I was writing about these verses I went through a scare about my own life a medical problem I faced posed genuine concern about the possibility of cancer for three days for the first time in some years I confronted my own mortality. I hated it. Sleep was difficult. Anxiety was constant. But I also found myself thinking about God and eternity a lot more than usual, reading my Bible with more attention than normal, and caring far less about what I ate, about material things in general. Confronting eternity sharpened my spiritual appetites, even as it dulled my sensual impulses. I discovered just today that the medical problem is not cancer, but a relatively minor and easily cured matter. And already I can feel myself slipping back into the usual lackadaisical spirituality. I think this is really powerful and honest uh, of of the the person who wrote this. 
Uh, that, that line in, in the middle there, confronting eternity sharpened my spiritual appetite, even as it dulled my sensual impulses. That's what I'm talking about. That's what, if, if, we, if we've got the eyes on eternity, if we've got the idea of Jesus is coming back, life in the future is so much better. I don't need to, my life now to be perfect. I don't need to, 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 I don't know, invest in all of the latest and greatest and the nicest and the most comfortable things because I'm looking forward to something different. And how honest it is and how I see myself in that last sentence, how easy it is to slip into that kind of lackadaisical spirituality, kind of that slightly lazy, slightly apathetic, not putting the effort in because we, we, we've forgotten that Jesus is coming back. I hope that's a helpful encouragement for us to be thinking in those ways and considering that. Actually, when we consider the fragility of our lives, that we are fragile people, we start thinking about eternity, don't we? Where the pain will be gone, the suffering will be gone. We only get complacent when we think everything's all right and everything's fine. And, and actually, to be honest, if Jesus couldn't come back for the next couple of years, so I can spend time with my grandkids and I can you know, enjoy the house that I've got and all these things, it wouldn't be the end of the world. We can start thinking like that, can't we? But actually, we're longing for his return. Is that our perspective? We're looking forward to that, those things. It's a challenge for me, I know. Maybe it's a challenge for you. Peter's pretty clear, isn't it? The world is not going to last. It's going to be destroyed and remade. It's going to be so much better. We can look forward to that. He wants the church to know Christ. He wants them to know the reality of that future in a way that leads to changed lives striving to live for Jesus. And you see verse 12, is like, do that, and it will speed his coming as we please God by living godly lives. Well, I spoke in an earlier sermon about the kind of practical ways we strive for godliness, that the, what I call the pathways of grace, you know, the, the avenues that his grace pours into our lives through reading his word and spending time in prayer and being together as a church. We want to grow in those ways, in those areas. And we want to prioritise things rightly, don't we? Think about, maybe that's a question for you to reflect on today. What priority have I given my faith? What else might be starting to just get in the way of giving Christ everything? It will affect how we live if we remember that Jesus is coming back. And then a final application, a good way, I think, to conclude this series is to say this. Now is the time to proclaim the gospel. Now is the time to proclaim the gospel. This isn't necessarily Peter's main aim in writing the letter, but it's a consequence, isn't it, of the eternal perspective that he's got. We saw earlier, didn't we? God is patient. God is patient. What does that mean? Verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Our Lord's patience means salvation. This is the time. The time is right now. Before Christ returns, people can come to him, can turn to him, can find that, 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 that salvation, can be saved. Coming to him in repentance, turning away from their old way of life, finding love and acceptance and family in Jesus. That's what's happened to us. If we're believers, if we're trusting him, we have been shown that mercy, haven't we? The, the sacrifice of Christ laying down his life to save undeserving sinners like us. Forgiving us, making us new, giving us a place in his kingdom. Giving us that certain hope. Now is the time to not keep quiet about this news, to, to declare it from the rooftops, to share it with others before it's too late. So let me encourage you as we finish this series to, to go out boldly uh, at talking about your faith, aware that Jesus is coming back, 
You don't need to be afraid of other people. You don't need to be afraid of what they think, what they say. Because you are secure in God's arms. So you can proclaim the truth with joy, with thankfulness. You can show his love practically. You can make the most of the opportunities he gives you. So I encourage you again just to pray for wisdom. Who do you need to talk to at the minute? Who do you need to share the gospel with? Who Maybe just praying for opportunities that, that God will open up ways to do that. And then pray for boldness. Pray that you wouldn't be fearful because you know that secure position. And actually that's really important to remember, isn't it? As we proclaim the gospel, if you're not a believer, if you're not trusting in Jesus, now is the time. Jesus is coming back. And it's not too late to turn to him and find that love and that, that joy, the forgiveness as he comes to rule, as he comes to judge. It, it's, you can do that today and become part of his family forever. Turning away from your sin, turning to Jesus. If, if you want to know more, come and pray with me. Come uh, find someone to pray with after the service. We'd love to share a bit more about that. Well, in the church meeting earlier, um, Jim summed up the letter of 2 Peter by reading the final verses, and that's exactly what I'm going to do again uh, to, to conclude the series because it does just sum up the letter so well and work as a sort of a, sort of a prayerful statement for ourselves uh, as we conclude. Have a look at verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing the song, Oh, Praise the Name. And it's a song that takes us to, to Calvary to, to remind us of Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross. And then it's a song that reminds us of what, what it will be like, the joy it will be when he returns. So let's stand together, shall we worship God with this song?